Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And once again, it is myself, Toby Tarrant. It is live from Australia, Mr. Daniel Norcross and Mr. Stephen Finn as well, who is once again wearing that fetching fleece. I think that's three or four weeks in a row, Finny. Do you not have any other fleeces? Well, this is what October is all about. You just recycle clothes and with the current cost of living crisis, if you don't need to wash them, then... Um, why why would you unnecessarily wash clothes? So, yeah, just being frugal, I suppose, sensible and living the life of a cricketer in October. Not only are you wearing that every day, but you're not washing it either. Is that what you're telling us? Uh, yeah, it might have got a wash. I went away this weekend for a few days to go to some horse racing. So I think I stuck it in the wash before that. But yeah, probably hadn't been washed for a couple of weeks uh, before that. Now, was this was this a sort of lad's trip to the horse racing? Are we going to get another photo of you waving a dildo around like there is that legendary photo of you waving a dildo around in Amsterdam no no I didn't bring that out actually bring it out of where I was going to say I left it around your mum's house (laughs) Uh, that's why you weren't waving it around at the horse race (laughs) yes yeah yeah it's in her bedside drawer um no I I what did I do this weekend I I wore one of my friend's pearl earrings she had a lovely dangly pearl earring, so I took it out of her ear and put it in my own. And and yeah, that's about as raucous as it got this weekend. And that was short-lived, your earring. Was that you trying to recreate that moment? For people that are new to the podcast, of all four of you, the um, Stephen Finn went through a weird earring phase. I think it was sort of around the time you were having a midlife crisis. And then it yep. sort of petered out quite quickly. I thought that was going to be a permanent fixture. Well, no, the hole's still there, so I've got the option. But, but yeah, currently it's not being worn, but the hole is still open as I checked out this weekend. So yeah, the option's there to to get the earring back in. I'm good. Well, I'm glad that door isn't closed permanently. I was just thinking, there's a photo of you in Amsterdam waving a dildo around. There's a photo of me at a music festival. Somebody once posted on Twitter waving a dildo around at Secret Garden Party mm. Music Festival. So Norcross, you're the only one letting the side down here in many ways. Well, there is actually an engraved carving of me in Pompeii of me uh, waving um, a, a giant ancient dildo around just before um, Mount Vesuvius erupted so you just haven't looked hard enough have you, those bodies that are sort of cast in the position that they died in 
at uh, Bond. Yeah, I knew him well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's two people kissing. He was, hey, God, what what a bloke he was. Yeah, well, I, yeah, that was nasty because that was my girlfriend, and <laughs> uh, and that wasn't me, and that uh, was quite a blow. What a way um, to find I, out. I'd been on a way on a on a wine tasting trip round Ithaca, and uh, come back, and you'd think, you know, especially given what the story of the Odyssey is, that my own personal Penelope might have just been able to last for five months without going off with my best friend, but no. Um, came back and I had to go and clear the origin stables all over again. That's a deep classical reference. I don't know if anybody's going to get that at all. Only no, me. I think, Only I think, me. <laughs> no, I think you've lost, I think you've lost our, our listener very, uh, this might be a new record. If they didn't turn we'll off get, we'll, at Dildo we'll Gate, get, so they're certainly gone now. <laughs> we might get someone from Athens might join in. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> might go big in Greece. We'll talk about that later because it yeah, turns oh, out yeah. this podcast, although we mock our paltry number of listeners, turns out that we are huge in nations that you wouldn't expect to be. Um, that might be yes. because there's not much appetite for cricket podcasts. So if you've got one listener in that country, you go flying up the table. But we'll discuss that a bit later on. Finney, you mentioned uh, being a cricketer in October. What What's the plan now? First of all, how's the knee coming along after your 58th surgery, whatever you've had on that knee? And uh, what what what's the plan? How much does Sussex trust you? Because I've watched you up close and personal the last year or so, and I wouldn't trust you if I was Sussex. I've not been that up close. You've been up close yeah. and personal to us enough today, stuffing your face full of chicken right in front of a webcam. Yeah, lean yeah, chicken, by the way, Zoom, lean chicken. If the Zoom is the sort of thing where I could be sat here with no trousers and pants on, and you wouldn't know. So you've not been that up close and personal to um, to be able to see me in full flow i don't think well, I, th- I think I, we, a... I think we know you're not wearing any trousers and pants Finny. i think we've always known that absolutely it's someone um, else wears the trousers in your you house effortless at any moment if you so desire to be fair, <laughs> oh here she, she is, is. Yeah. Oh, there she is. <laughs> oh we get to see her face for once rather than her ass for good pleasure ah, no, <laughs> there, yeah, there it is it's beautiful there it is very, she's not still shy, so clean She's not shy. Feels so clean. Yeah. I think that's a new record for the podcast. How quickly Ethel has showed us her arsehole. She was very compliant there as well. She'd usually try and scratch me if I do that to her, but she's no. getting used to it. I think she's given yeah. up at this stage. She knows it's that time of the week again. I think she recognises Toby's voice and my voice, and she knows that we appreciate her arse in a way that you perhaps haven't before. And um, she's showing off. She's basically flirting. Doesn't with tend us. to be the doesn't tend to be the part no. of her that I admire when she's walking around. Get off the fucking wires. Go away. Um <laughs> I mean how, how old is she? She's probably in my hitting zone in cat years or human um, years, whatever which way you she's, want She's actually I missed her later. birthday the other day. Twenty first oh, of what? October was her birthday. Oh, um, no. and I forgot all about it. So so yeah, oh, she's no. probably punishing me for that, I'd say. No. She's how old she's is she? five now. She's five. Five. So that's probably it's a bit young for me still, I think. Yeah, what's cat years? Like seven years? Is that like 35? Yeah, 30, 35. Yeah. Some sort of sliding yeah. scale, I think. Yeah, yeah. You've got okay. a long way a long way to go, Norcross. Don't you worry now, about that. Now, Ethel will catch up. In a couple of years' time, we'll be perfect for each other. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, um, I, I'm currently in five days a week at Sussex, and my knee's going well. I seem to not be in as much pain and able to do a lot more. Yeah, I had a swim today which wasn't that pleasant. That's why my eyes are so red. I've got the chlorine in my eyes. But no, it's going in the right direction. It's just long, boring, painful process doing rehab now, every are, single day. Now, are you also bowling alongside? Because I saw videos with Joffre Archer. 
Is he is he uh, training no. with you at the moment? Well, yeah, he is, and he's in, and he's bowling at the boys who can train. But I've still not run or anything. I'm literally still I'm not able to do all that much. So yeah, I just get to sit there and watch it. Which, given the fact that he's bowling pretty quick by the looks of it, um, it is quite a good thing that I don't have to face him. Yeah, he looks like he's uh, he looks like he's returning to his former glory, which is very exciting. Um, well, we should probably start talking about cricket, even by the low sounded. Before we before we do before we do, this is a low brow start to the podcast. What are you talking about, Norcross? Very quickly, I said before we started the podcast, I'd go and check to see if this wine had chilled. Right, and it's a beautiful bottle of Chardonnay. I don't normally drink Chardonnay. I never drink Chardonnay, but a lovely man got in touch with us on uh, TMS and said, would you come and do a wine tasting? The only time we could do was 10.30 in the morning, which I thought was quite a punchy time to go wine tasting, but, you know, uh, I took him up on it. And um, and he makes his... He's a British, moved to um, uh, Tasmania, and he's given me this lovely bottle of Chardonnay. And I stuck it in the fridge in my hotel, which I arrived in seven hours ago, and it's warmer than when I put it in. I mean, how am I supposed to live like this? It's just... <laughs> It is just unbelievable. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But go on, talk about cricket if you must. But I need to get that off my chest. I need to have, I almost feel like I'd be talking to reception right now about the temperature of this fridge. Well, whilst whilst you're criticising the hotel, I might criticise you as a hotel guest because whilst Finney was talking there about his knee rehab, which thankfully is going very well, and he was pouring his heart out about that, I noticed you on your camera, you needed to cough. And you didn't have anything around to cough into. <laughs> so you turned around, you're laughing. You turned around, grabbed the hotel curtain and coughed into that. <laughs> oh, come on. We've all coughed into a curtain. I mean, hasn't everyone at some point had to well, cough into a curtain? My so curtains before, are full of cough. Before you slag off the fridge at this hotel, maybe they, maybe it's worth them knowing that you've flemmed all over their curtain whilst Stephen Finn was pouring his heart out about his knee rehab. <laughs> you, you did, didn't you? Yeah, but I'm not telling you which hotel it is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, answers on a postcard. You know where to find us if you know which hotel Daniel Norcross is staying in. Um, now, on the on the topic of uh, knee rehabs and injuries and recovery and all that, we should start with the very, very gutting and sad news that Reese Topley is going to miss the T20 World Cup. We've been praising him a lot in recent weeks on this podcast. He's been bowling beautifully for England. He's had so many injury troubles in the past. He's come back. He's looked absolutely brilliant. He was probably a shoo-in for that first game. In fact, he was bowling that well. And then in a freak accident where he stood on the boundary sponge, I suppose you call it, he is unfortunately injured and uh, and missing the entire World Cup. It's reminiscent of Glenn McGrath standing on that cricket ball all those years ago in the 2005 Ashes. Um, ben Stokes has criticised the Toblerone boundary sponges and blamed them for the for the freak accident. Uh, first of all, though, Finney, that's that's got to be absolutely heartbreaking for Reese Topley and everybody here. Obviously, not that he would listen and not that he cares, but everybody here wishes him a speedy recovery because he's been so good recently. Yeah, yeah, it's always devastating to get injured on the eve of a big tournament. I think it happened to me once. The 2016 T20 World Cup, actually, I I tore my calf in the nets just building up before going to the tournament a couple of weeks before it. And the ECB pulled me out of the tournament. And then I ended up on pre-season tour with Middlesex playing a game on the same day that the first day of the World Cup was. So that was unbelievably frustrating. 
I actually got in trouble for that because I did an interview with a newspaper and basically said, oh, I, I was like, I'm fit. They shouldn't have pulled me out. They were hasty to pull me out. And and then I never played a T20 for England again. So probably serves me right for running my mouth off and then having to apologise to the selectors for the way that I talked about them in the media. But no, it's heartbreaking for Reese Topley. I think you build up to these big moments or these big milestones in your career to play and to show that you are one of the best in the world. And certainly the way that he's bowled this summer and, and in that Pakistan series, he'd have almost certainly been in that starting lineup. So yeah, devastating for him. But it does present an opportunity for for someone else now, doesn't it? Well, you know, you know why those Toblerones are so big, by the way. I mean, they're they're, they're that big so they can fit the advertising onto the Toblerone so people can see it, and then that money gets theoretically filtered back into cricket, and then the players benefit from that. So there's a there's a sort of reason for it. In the old days, there was a rope, and they couldn't sell any advertising on the rope, so they built those things. And it is unfortunate because they practice, obviously, time and time again, taking six hits right close to those Toblerones. So you can't, it's not just a matter of, you know, being careless and wandering past it. They have drills in which they're trying to take those catches as close as they can and throw it back and, you know, when they go over the line, etc. So, you know, it's just unlucky, isn't it? It's one of those exams. Essentially, Reese Topley was injured by capitalism. That's what did he was injured. He was injured by he was injured by capitalism, or people whose logos just can't be a little bit more distinctive on something a bit smaller. So blame yeah. the marketing men. There's a little bit of that in there as well. You know, they need to, they need to take a long hard look at themselves in that regard. But what has been interesting about there being no Topley is that he would have been obviously selected. There was no doubt about it. He was going to be selected. The person who has come in, if you like, is Liam Livingston. Now, he might have been selected anyway, had he been fit. But if you look at the composition of England's team, as they built up to the T20 World Cup, what they've done is lost a bowler and gained a batter who didn't who can bowl, but didn't bowl against Afghanistan for all sorts of perfectly reasonable reasons. So it has changed the whole way that they're going to have to approach bowling in the tournament. Like they Having to use Stokes a bit in the power play in a way that they wouldn't have had to, they might have bowled the odd over of him here and there. Um, it lengthens their batting lineup massively, but it loses them um, a, a finisher as well. So Sam Curran has to do two in there. He probably would have done anyway. Topley would have done a couple. And instead, you've then got to either get Stokes or Wokes or hold back an over of Wood maybe to the 18th. So it does change the whole way that they have to ta- tactically approach each of these games, I think. Yeah, it's. Um, I was surprised to see the England lineup. Well, I wasn't surprised in a way, but um, it was pretty much bang on the one that I predicted. I'd like to point out a few weeks ago, minus Reese Topley. I still believe that there would have been a way to get Stokes, Brook, Livingston all into that team. You would have to sacrifice. But you wouldn't have had Curran. You you wouldn't have had Curran, and Curran took five for ten, and is their best bowler. But then you lose the potency with the new ball. You know. Hmm. Yeah, Reese Topley of a new ball, though. Come on. And Ben Stokes of a new ball at the moment, by the way. So I was looking pretty good. But, I mean, let's move on to Sam Curran because I have constantly banged on about the fact that I'm the biggest Sam Curran fan in the world. And now I feel like when you love a band and then suddenly everyone else discovers them and then it's not as cool anymore. I've been banging on about Sam Curran for years. I love that bloke. I like he's a competitor. He's talented. He's a three-dimensional cricketer. Um, he's amazing in the IPL and he's done it and he's got a great record against world-class batsmen as well. 
but he was absolutely ridiculous against Afghanistan. He took England's best ever T20 international bowling figures. He bowled 3.4 overs, 5 for 10, including a ridiculous run where he took something like four wickets for no runs or something stupid in that game. And an unbelievable performance, Stephen Finn. Not just Sam Curran, but England all rounds. I know it was Afghanistan and they will face trickier opposition, but they laid down a marker. You can only beat what's in front of you. And they put down a marker first game of the tournament. Nobody will want to play them, surely. Yeah, well, I mean, Afghanistan, I think, are a very dangerous team. The way that they um, set themselves up in world tournaments and with some of the players that they've got. So, um, yeah, it was a potential banana skin, I think, for for England, but they overcame it. It was a good start to the tournament. I think they've built momentum nicely from when we spoke on this podcast before the Pakistan series. And there was a um, off the back of a not great summer in the short format. But, but yeah, to come through that and then find a team and stumble upon a team and the makeup of a team that can take them through this World Cup and um, has a lot of bases covered. Uh, it seems to be coming together at the right time. So, yeah, to beat Afghanistan in that manner in the first game of the tournament enthuses everyone, I think. It was a toply injury aside, Norcross. It was pretty much the perfect start to the tournament for England, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I don't know. Not quite, really. Not quite. Because I, I, with the ball, they were superb. Absolutely superb. But the day before, New Zealand had thrashed Australia by 89 runs, which suddenly made net run rate a really like, well, likely way of deciding one of the teams that's going to go through, if not two of them. Because you could very easily end up with three teams having lost one and won four here. You know, England could lose to Australia and beat New Zealand. That's not an unlikely scenario. So when England had done Afghanistan for 113 and got off to a sort of acceptable start, I thought they could have been a bit more risk-taking. I thought they could have got over the line a little bit quicker because they did straight lengthen their batting order. And I thought they could have got there inside, you know, probably 10 balls fewer than they did, actually. I don't think it will come back to bite because it's still quite a, a sizable win. But you look at the difference, New Zealand's net run rate plus 4.4. England's plus 0.6, you know, and it could, it should probably have been a bit better than that. Probably plus one, one and a half, you know. Um, but yeah, in the field, absolutely fantastic. And Stokes and Stokes bowling four overs in a T20 is an unusual thing. I, I'm not sure it's always going to be sustainable, though. I mean, on different pitches against different batters, I'm not sure you want Stokes to be bowling four, in which case, where are the other overs coming from? And it's got to be Moeen and or Livingston. But those were the conditions, you know, in Perth, they were quite seamer friendly. We, we did a game there when England played Australia and beat them and there wasn't much in it for the spinner. Um, today's game, which you know the score better than I do, I presume, Australia are playing Sri Lanka, the seamers are pretty dominant at the top. So, yeah, all round, yeah, pretty, pretty happy with it. I just thought they might have risked a little bit more in the last four or five overs of their chase. Not that this will mean anything now. By the time this podcast goes out, this game will be over. But Daniel Norcross, Sri Lanka were struggling 137 for six going into the final over. And a Pat Cummins over went for 20. So Sri Lanka have posted 157. So I tell you what, it's very, very competitive, especially with the way you know, that Australia batted the other day. 
weirdly, that is exactly what the Crickviz score predictor said at the start of the innings. <laughs> One five seven to any of that bollocks. Come on. Um, I know it's bollocks, but they got it right. You Fair play, they got it right. They, they said one five seven right to start the innings. Right twice a day. I think what might benefit Ben Stokes, as we saw in some of his spells in the Test arena this summer, is that he's decent at bowling short, and pretty much everyone seems to have the same tactic at this World Cup, which is bowl it short so you've got to hit sixes over the very, very large, wide boundaries rather than hitting straight. Although we'll come on to that Virat Kohli shot against Pakistan a bit later on, which was absolutely ridiculous. Um. It was hilarious watching Josh Hazelwood bowl. These pitches are some of the hardest, truest, bounciest pitches I've ever seen. They've obviously decided to make them for this World Cup um, because Hazelwood bowling with the new ball against Sri Lanka in this game that's taking place at the time of recording and poor Matthew Wade wicket-keeping right on the edge of the ring. <laughs> and Matthew Wade's not a tall guy. He was having to jump for the most regulation ball outside off stump. He was taking about 10 feet over his head, right on the edge of the ring. First slip was right there next to him. And these pitches are ridiculously bouncy. And so that is going to be where Ben Stokes bowling might be handy, is that everyone seems to be running in and, and, and bowling short, basically, and bowling slow ball bouncers and bowling bouncers, trying to get everybody hooking and pulling them for six rather than spanking them over their head. Finney, a, a, a prime Stephen Finney be licking his lips at this tournament. This was made for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it does certainly lend itself to those guys hitting the track harder, which again is a shame that Reese Topley um, has ended up out of the tournament because you'd imagine he'd have enjoyed his height and bounce, would have enjoyed bowling on these tracks. But yeah, I'm all for it. I think sick of seeing absolute pancakes just slide onto the middle of people's bats with tiny boundaries. I think it's about time that we saw the fast bowlers come into the fore. Uh, and I anticipate them doing that in this tournament. And yeah, watching the guys zinging it round the batters' ears in in this game against Sri Lanka for Australia is exciting to watch, in my opinion. Straight boundaries at Hobart are enormous; they're like eighty-three meters or something. So all the games that we were watching there followed a similar kind of pattern in that you know nobody could dare to go, to try to go straight and hit for six. It was it was quite weird. So you had a lot of people trying to manufacture. The paddles. If you, you, I noticed Sri Lanka were doing that quite a lot because obviously the boundary is shorter by 22 yards once you get to the other end. So they're trying to flick it over the keeper constantly, which brings with it its own particular crises. So you've got this quite an interesting tactical battle between batter and captain about fine leg being up, uh, third being back or not. It's uh, and, and who bowls at what point, and players who clearly can't play that shot all attempting it because it's the best value shot. So you get a lot of quite ugly cricket I've been watching so far. We saw it even with David Willey who came in towards the end of one of England's warm-up games where David Willey who hits a big old ball constantly trying to flick the ball over the wicketkeeper's head and doing it really, really badly because obviously that's yeah. something they've worked on. Finney, I was listening to Moen Ali and Rashid or somebody talking about Moen Ali and Rashid and how much Owen Morgan used to obsess about the dimensions of a ground. Was that something that you've you've always found with Owen Morgan? Apparently, he used to obsess over where where you're getting the batsman hitting. Yeah, but I think that's an important aspect of assessing conditions. And I think that, especially um, when the conditions and things are in a batter's favour, I think that you have to find every little edge that you can and get in a batter hitting to the longest part of the ground or the longest side of the ground or into a wind is vitally important and yeah, where you're not getting the assistance off the wicket or through the air, 
you have to try and find those little margins and certainly size of boundary plus wind is um one of those things so yeah it's not a surprise that owen morgan was was quite adamant that people were got hitting those directions i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Right, well, let's come on to one of the games that I touched on a bit earlier on, which is the India-Pakistan and the game of the tournament so far. One of the greatest cricket matches I think I've ever seen in my life. The most incredible finish. So if you didn't see it and you're living under a rock and somehow you missed the game. So India beats Pakistan by four wickets off the final ball, thanks to Ashwin pumping one over Midoff's head to win the game. It was the most remarkable chase. And the bloke who I slagged off on this very podcast a few months ago and said he was finished and he's a has-been and he's washed up. Virat Kohli, the greatest finisher, probably apart from Mahendra Singh Dhoni and white ball cricketing history, was in prime King Kohli form, 82 not out to steer India home in a match that absolutely had it all. Pakistan looked like they were home and dry before Virat Kohli hit two sixes off the last two balls of the penultimate over. And the first shot is one of the greatest cricket shots I've ever seen in my entire life. There is no exaggeration that when I say that. So as discussed, they were desperately trying to get Virat Kohli to try and hit square. So they were bowling short to him. And he'd clearly made his mind up, no matter where this ball goes, I'm hitting it straight back down the ground. And he somehow managed to hit a sort of ribcage high delivery, a sort of straight pull shot, come straight drive, miles over the boundary for six. And then the very next ball, he flicked one with his wrists over square leg for six as well. Finney, have you seen that Virat Kohli shot? Because I couldn't believe what I was seeing at the time. Yeah, I've seen little clips on social media. I actually wasn't able to watch it live because I couldn't find it because I was in a remote house on the outskirts of Newbury. But yeah, I think Virat Kohli is a special, special player. And I think the things that we're seeing people do and batters able to do is getting pretty silly. They obviously practice it, but yeah, that was intuitive and using his instinct. And yeah, I'm glad I wasn't the bowler, to be honest. I mean, when he plays that shot, Finney, because the bowler sort of did nothing wrong. He bowled to the captain's plans, which was trying to get him hitting square. And unfortunately, Virat Kohli ignored those plans and Julie somehow managed to hit the ball miles over his head straight. Have you ever run in and bowled at a batsman where you just thought, it doesn't matter where I bowl to this bloke, the way he's seeing it at the minute, it's going where he wants it? Other than John Simpson. <laughs> I think guys are getting better at hitting the ball in strange areas. I mean, a lot of the the way that you do try and bowl to people is to get them to hit shots they're not comfortable doing, but then it's a batter's job to go away and counteract that. So, yeah, the shot that Virat Kohli played was um, pretty ridiculous, to be honest. Norcross, I was looking at some of the stats about Virat Kohli, and, uh, you know, although tongue-in-cheek, I suggested that he was finished, he's had quite a good career. He averages over 80 in T20 World Cups, and in the second innings, he averages over 200 when chasing in 10 innings in T20 World Cups. He's pretty damn good when the chips are down and his country needs him, isn't he? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that, though, because I, I, I thought that he'd actually battered his side into a big, big problem. Uh, I thought he'd done a classic Virat Kohli thing. 
And he got out of it in spectacular fashion. Those two sixes were uh, amazing. I mean, Harris Ralph missed his length of the second ball, but I suppose you could be a bit spooked when you've just been hit by one of the shots of the century. So it will it will have that effect on you, won't it? Uh, but yeah, I mean, how can anybody not be but marvel at what he did at the time that he did it? The situation is so important. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who will say, well, every single ball is exactly the same. And I'd be fascinated to ask Stephen about this because, you know, ultimately it's 120 balls of cricket and it should, the result is determined by the accumulation of the 120 balls against the other 120 balls, isn't it? I mean, that's that's what a game of cricket is about. And it shouldn't be any more significant on one ball than the other. But you could see from how the situation got to the bowlers a bit at the end there. Harris Ralph missing that last ball, having been hit, pumped for that six. So it was 28 off eight. That made it 16 off six. I was watching this in a bar in Hobart with the ICC team, you know, like Dooley and uh, Dirk Nanez, Pommy and Bangra, Samuel Badry, that lot. And the gasp that all of us gave at firstly that first six and then the second six and then, oh my God, Pakistan had put all their eggs in one basket, which is to leave Nawaz with 22 plus to defend the spinner in the last over. And then watching how he uh, handled that last over, which was actually pretty good to start with. But because India stayed in it, and then the muscles tightening up, and there being 90-plus thousand people there, I mean, that must make a difference, must not it? I mean, that, that must make it much harder to do your thing as a bowler. And I would think it would be harder in that situation as a bowler than a batter. I don't know. I, I, I imagine it like that. Because your margin for error as a bowler is so much smaller, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, you you have to try and nail it. And I think that that's why England, when they're preparing for tournaments, they try and put different guys under pressure in different scenarios in the build-up to tournaments to try and prepare them for the unexpected. And yeah, trying to deliver a skill whilst under pressure, it's fine doing it in the nets. But when you're out there and the adrenaline is pumping and, and everything's going and, and your heart's going a million miles an hour to make clear decisions... You need good leadership and, and you need to, to trust what you're doing. So, so yeah, there are a number of facets to what make a good death bowler and that's why it's such a hard job. And also, though, to be cool, I mean, look at the bowling, but how cool was Ashwin leaving that wide? I mean, you could argue maybe it was obviously a wide, but in the rush of the moment, it's two off one. You know, <laughs> to, to leave a ball in that situation... You could look like an unbelievable tit if you screw that up. If it had flicked his thigh pad on the way through to the wicket. Or just turned or something, you know. I mean, (laughs) your your natural reaction in that situation, leading two off one in front of 94,000 people, and it really, really, really matters, is I've got to get bat on ball, you know. And he's he's as cool as anything. It's fantastic, that. The the bowler's psychology is fascinating because, like you say, when they needed 16 off the last over, as a bowler... I think sometimes the bowler just thinks, just go for 15. Just go, just just get away with it. And I sometimes look at that Ben Stokes over to Brathwaite all those years ago. And they West Indies almost needed so many off that over that I think Ben Stokes ran in. If you look, he bowled four length deliveries. I think he just thought, well, he's not going to hit 20 off length. He's just going to, he's going to miss one. He's going to miss time one. 
And Ben Stokes, you could see his brain was scrambled after the first two went for six and he sort of didn't have a plan B ready to go. I think his plan was just go for like 19 off the over. That's fine. Just make sure you win the game. Finney, do they, do they try and recreate pressure in training at all? You mentioned it there that obviously it's very different in the circumstances because when I trained with Warwickshire when I was about 18 and weirdly they never signed me professionally. I, they missed a trick there. But when I, was training, <laughs> when I was training with Warwickshire when I was 18, we used to be on before the sort of like academy used to be on before the, the men's team came on. And they used to do this thing that I saw where they had four nets lined up and they had to hit top of off stump three times before they were allowed to move on to the next net. Then they had to hit a perfect bouncer that had to hit this helmet that was hanging above the stumps. Then they had to bowl the perfect Yorker and then they had to hit the stumps three times and see how few deliveries they could do it in. And whoever finished was then allowed to sit by the fourth net and just absolutely hurl abuse at the people that were still running into bowl. Have you ever done anything like that in your time? Uh, yeah, yeah. You put yourself under pressure in training, definitely. I remember when I was younger on Lions tours, we used to do challenges like that um, and it had become a competition between the bowlers. I mean, just going back to that Ben Stokes over, I don't think he was trying to bowl length. I think he was trying to bowl Yorkers and he just got it wrong because in the build-up to that final, in the semi-final and stuff, him and Chris Jordan had closed out games just bowling Yorkers and had nailed them. So I think he was just trying to go back to what he had done through the tournament and ignored the fact that he might have or should have bowled a slower ball or tried to bowl wide. But when you're in the moment, and I've been there, I've bowled massive overs before, that one against Simpson last year. I've gone for big runs at Lords a couple of times, 20-odd. So, yeah, I think you have to just allow yourself a little bit of time. And I think that that's the most important thing in those scenarios. And that's why you do try and recreate that in practice sometimes, because when everyone's hurling abuse at you, it can become a lot harder to concentrate. Um, and you just have to try and decipher your way through that um, and concentrate on the job at hand. I guess that's, it's, it's like you say, it's so much easier when you're sat watching on TV. You know, I was shouting at the TV when Ben Stokes was bowling that over. <laughs> Who am I to shout at Ben Stokes for the greatest natural talent in the last 20 years. But I was going, you know, he, he, he can see what you're doing. You're just running in the bowling lane. If you're missing New Yorkers, I was shouting at the TV, all sorts of stuff. And uh, the Ben Stokes doesn't really need my advice. But should somebody have come up to Ben Stokes there? Or should the captain have come up to him? Is it just really difficult to think clearly at times like that as a captain, as a fielder, as a bowler? Is everybody just not quite thinking straight under that sort of pressure? I mean, it's the last over of a T20 World Cup. Yeah, I think... I, to be honest, I don't know because I've not been there. I've not had to bowl in a World Cup under that sort of pressure. So I can't imagine what would be going through those guys' minds. It's bad enough in a domestic game when you're trying to win it, let alone being there in front of the crowd um, and in front of the cameras and, and everything that comes with it. So I, I'm not entirely qualified to talk about that. But certainly, even in domestic cricket, when you're under that pressure to bowl the 19th or 20th over, um, and try and restrict the runs, it does become a lot harder to think. And I think that that's what a good captain does. They slow the game down. They get you to breathe and take your time in between balls. And I think Owen Morgan learned a lot from that experience with the way that he then captained leading into that 2019 World Cup and took the time, especially in that super over with Joffre Archer, to make sure that each ball was correctly done and, and everyone was calm and, and thinking clearly when it came to delivering it. Norcross, you are bang on, though, with what you said there about batsmen. And it's rare that I ever think that you're right about anything. But batsmen have got the better side of the deal in those sort of overs. When, they, when there's a yeah. lot of runs needed off the final over, it's like being a goalkeeper in a penalty shootout in football. 
Nobody expects you to save the ball, but if you do, you're a hero. Mm. If if they had swung and missed, if if Cole, if Coley had swung and missed at all six deliveries trying to hit them to the moon, everyone would just say, "Oh, unlucky." You know, lot of runs needed off that last over, well batted. But another example of batsmen getting all the rub of the green in cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't deny it. I mean, also, it's 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 pretty obvious, isn't it? Because a batter is waiting there for a bowler to miss his length. You know, he's back. He's going to back himself. Except weirdly, actually, Ben Stokes in the last ball of the World Cup final when um, it was Bolt, wasn't it? Did miss his length, bowled a shin-high full toss. And Stokes, having got England impossibly onto the brink, then patted it down to long on rather than just hit it out of the ground, which he would have done at any other point in his innings, which is actually the flip side, you know, where pressure goes onto a batter because he's actually got his side back into it. And there's what he desperately doesn't want to do at this stage is then throw it away by getting out. Doesn't want to get caught in the boundary. Knows he can get at least one thinks he might come back for two. So his mind gets a bit scrambled there. Nat Siver did the same thing in the 100 this year when she needed like an impossible three sixes off the last three balls to win the game, hit two sixes and then had a virtually identical ball that she she would have hit for six. And she said afterwards that because she was suddenly thinking now about what she needed to do, I know I think she needed four off the last ball. Now, now she was thinking I could hit this for four. I don't have to hit it for six. It made her brain flip and she went out of the moment that she was in. So she didn't, you know, just keep going using her same method. But you saw it with poor old Nawaz there at the back end. And he and he did lose it. He lost it horribly. But something fascinating came out of it, which was the overwaist high no ball. Now, I don't give a toss about whether you think that was or wasn't an above waist high no ball. I'm more interested in Jimmy Neesham's brilliant solution to getting rid of all controversy, which is they should measure every single person who's going to play in the World Cup from the waist down and then use Hawkeye to determine where their waist would be like at the normal point that they're standing, say, on the crease line. And then you'd have a specialised or you have specialised no ball that would just trigger for every different batter. And then the umpires wouldn't have to decide whether it's coming down or whether he's too far forward or whatever. If it was down to you, Norcross, after right your again. solution to the man-cadding rule as well, there'd be about 400 umpires on the pitch, yeah. for just one for every single different possible scenario. Well, I've told you I've told you about my solution, have I, or not, to the issue of when runs are scored after somebody's given out LBW. So, big appeal goes up. Ball runs away off the pad because it's a shit ball by a bowler. It goes for four leg buys, which should obviously go against his figures, but don't. And it runs down to the boundary for four. Up comes the bowler with a big appeal. Umpire gives it out. Batter then refers it. Yeah. It goes to DRS and you discover the ball's pitched outside leg. And it has indeed uh, actually probably come off the bat as well. And it's gone down for four. But they don't get those runs because it was given out. Right. That'll be really important one day. So the solution is dead simple. Simply do not give your decision as an umpire until the ball is dead. And then we're sorted. Then we're sorted. Then these things. I mean, I don't know why they don't ask me to solve all of the problems in cricket because they're all here at my fingertips. I'm sorry, sorry. And instead, if... I have to watch this insanity play out before my eyes week in, week out. And, and this is my job. This is my. I, I have to watch this idiocy as my job. I'm sorry that the ICC Mercy. don't take the opinion seriously of a man who earlier coughed into his hotel curtains. But it's funny that <laughs> funny that they don't respect you and appreciate your your input, Daniel. 
Now, we would see you next week, chaps, when England will continue their mighty march, their unstoppable march to becoming the T20 World Champions. Uh, very quickly, if you have been listening to Zero Ducks Given, and if you are one of the few listeners that we have, thank you very much for listening. Continue to spread the word. Tell your friends, any cricket friends you might have, and please follow us on Twitter, at Zero Ducks Pod, and on Instagram, at Zero Ducks Pod, and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. Obviously, only give us a rating if it's good. Only give us five-star ratings. We're not interested in any four or below-star ratings. Basically, give us a five-star ratings wherever you can. And um, thank you to the people listening all over the world because Sal stumbled across some information this week, and he has the statistics available to him of where we are around the world in cricket podcasts. And we are the number one cricket podcast in Italy Poor little Vaughny and Tuffers all the way down in third place. We're huge in Italy. We're the number one cricket podcast in Belgium, ahead of the grade cricketer in the final word. So thank you if you're our listener in Belgium. Thank you very much. The Philippines, we're ahead of the grade cricketer, Sky Sports cricket podcast. Huge. Daniel Norcross, for all we know, if we go to Manila, there might be there might be your photo everywhere. You might be huge. It, I mean, I could in the Philippines, I could well be huge. Um Yes, although I think what's probably happening is that we can gather from these ratings um, where Jack Rule, Emma Vernon and Jack Roberts are going on their holidays because that's <laughs> essentially what's happening. It's a worry. Our three listeners have been to Belgium, Italy, the Philippines and uh, where was the other one? Uruguay. Uh, no, I, I said Belgium, no. Italy and Philippines, but sure, why not Uruguay as well? Sure, whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever you like. That's I mean, it's happening. a low point that's when you can name your listeners individually. That is that is a worrying sign. It's an even lower point when we can tell where they've been on holiday by our ratings on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what we've done to the good people of Canada, but we've upset them. We're down in a lowly seventh place. Sorry, Croatia. Oh. We're down in a lowly seventh place in Croatia, so we need to improve our standing in Croatia. But meanwhile, in uh, Philippines, in Italy, in Belgium, we're absolutely huge. So for all we know, if you've ever you've seen the documentary Searching for Sugar Man, and I recommend it very, very much, one of my oh, favourite documentaries good. ever, where this musician thinks that he's never sold any records and finds out later in life that he was huge in South Africa. For all we know, Stephen Finn might be absolutely massive in Belgium, and good luck to him. Chaps, we'll see you next week. England are going to no. win the World T20. No, you won't. No, you won't. Not yet. I've got some any other business. I'll make oh, it very brief. I, no, I need to go. And I know what you yeah, want well, to you talk can, about, but no, I'm already running very go, late. You go soon enough. You go soon enough. But you dragged me into this bloody competition, this fantasy football thing, which I know nothing about. I keep a, I do keep a slightly more modest eye on what's happening in the football now that I'm in this league. But you were all big into it. And Sal updated us the other day that I was in our massive league um, of over 100, 150 people that I was in 19th place. I've gone up to 12th, by the way, um, because I picked a couple of West Ham players because I, I read... Well, essentially, I picked one of them, and this is what I was going to say to you, because I had the best egg and cress sandwich I've ever had in my life in Hobart, and I saw it as a sign. So I picked... There's a guy called Cresswell. Is that right? Aaron Cresswell, yes. Okay. So I picked Aaron Cresswell because I had this fantastic fucking sandwich, and I bunged him inside, and he picked me up eight points. I got rid of some no-mark defender who had been rubbish. And they, they don't want to get you that many points, do they? They're usually a bit rubbish. Well, I mean, it's a low point that, Finney, we're losing to Norcross in fantasy football that both of us actually take relatively seriously. So no, imagine... don't put me in that category. I've not changed my team for six weeks. 
Don't, don't you, be asked. Yeah, because you were doing shit. In the same category as you because you're doing shit. <laughs> no, I couldn't care less about fancy football. Oh yeah, you change your tune. Yeah, exactly. Just because you're losing to a man who picks his team based on based on sandwiches he's had recently. Not once have I talked up my fancy football. It's too much effort. <laughs> too much effort for a man who has to do a bit of swimming a couple of times a week. You are in, you are quite. <laughs> Far ahead of me at the moment, I will grant you Norcross. However, I promise you this: that by the time this season is over, I will be yeah. ahead of you. Okay, and we, you, you I'll see you next that. week, and you can think about a forfeit bet that we can place for each other, or people can tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod or send us a message on Instagram. But when this season is all said and done, Norcross, I will be triumphant between you and me. Okay. Okay. Is there any player called Kung Po Chicken? Because I might pick them because that, that's yeah. that was what I first saw when I came onto this uh, podcast. Yeah, he's a right he's back. He's eating some Kung Po Chicken. Yeah, he's okay. a good player. Right, he chaps. Good? I'll plug him. He's going in. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.